I, I've been thinking a lot the last few days about, um, well, it's uh, the Thanksgiving holiday here in the States, and uh, I actually, actually have come to like Thanksgiving or actually the idea of gratitude, giving thanks, and I find it um, has been really front and center for me over the last few days and oftentimes people talk about November as being gratitude month and I, I really believe in the importance of gratitude and at the same time there are all these other things happening in the world there's the revolution in Iran and there's the continuing um, war in the Ukraine and I just read yesterday that Turkey has announced that it's going to invade Syria, and I've spent a lot of time in Syria um, because when I was doing archaeology, and so that was like a shock to me. And then there's a, there's the daily mass shootings, seemingly daily, um, I think it is, and there's the rise of authoritarianism in the United States and in other places, and the destruction of the planet because of climate change and, um, you know, so, and then with Thanksgiving, there's the acknowledgement of the reality of the founding of our country and, and the stories that are told that are not necessarily true and the reality of, of the, the treatment of the indigenous populations both here and in Canada. Um, so, and then there's all the personal difficulties that we have in our lives, the challenges in our personal lives. And so that can seem like an overwhelming list right there. And it's like, how do we hold all this? And, but it's, um, you know, it, it seems like there's, at times it can seem as if there's no way out. It's this onslaught, onslaught, onslaught. Um, and there's a deep sadness that can hang out, a deep grief, a deep mourning. I mean, we're still dealing with the ramifications of the pandemic and all the loss and mourning around that. That's not often acknowledged um, out loud, but but in our bodies. I mean, our bodies keep all the the uh, keep all this stuff inside, and so to acknowledge it is incredibly important. Um, and it can also feel like there's a binary aspect of this. You can either be grateful and happy and joyous, or you can just be in this mass of uh, really discomfort and unpleasantness and, and sadness and grief and, and the other emotions that arise, the anger, the, the, uh, all the, the, hot and, and heavy things that show up when we reflect on these things. Um, uh, so, but it's important to understand that it's not either or. Um, you know, it's not that they can't exist at the same time. I mean, it, just thinking about the idea of Thanksgiving itself, it's like, yeah, there is this acknowledgement of the history of, you know, the indigenous, the treatment of the indigenous people. And there's also this, this opportunity to be grateful and this calling out, lifting up of gratitude, lifting up of, of recognition of family and connection and, and the things that we do have. So it's, it's not one or the other, which I saw a lot of this weekend. It's like, no, you can't have that. You have to have this. And it's like, 
No, we're a little bit more complex. There's a little bit more nuance in our life. And we can hold both of these at the same time. Our, our minds are very complex um, um, things. And so we can, we can do both and have them have that awareness of both of them. It's and. It's not either or. It's and. Incredibly important. Um, and it's so helpful to let go of the binary way of thinking. I mean, we find that in so many ways, especially when we other so many, we judge and we, we, we distance ourselves and we, we create this sense of self, which the Buddha said, there's no, there's no fixed self. It's all conditioned. And so when we like stick a, stick a stake in the ground and say, no, this is it, that's moving into this sense of I and me and my, which is where so much pain and so much separation and, and so much harm comes from, this, this grabbing onto my, my turf. I was watching some cats across the street yesterday morning when I was pulling out, and they're on the lawn across the street, and they were doing that slow dance that they do. And then as I pulled out of the driveway, I looked over, and they were almost in that cartoon thing where they're like <laughs> with each other, and the, and the dirt was flying up around them. And, and um, it was like they're, they're, their cats are so territorial, and they're, it's their turf, and they were fighting over their turf. And it's like we don't have to just go into autopilot instinct mode. We have a little bit more... Um, capacity to reflect and not go into that instinctual, reactive uh, 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 way of being and thinking, but we can say, oh no, I don't need to have this I, me, my, this sense of separation. There's us and them or me and you, whatever it is. There's this, instead, this recognition of this what is actually happening here? What is actually going on? Again, a little bit more nuance, a bigger picture of what the story is and how we're not so separate and we're not so different. But it is important, just as there's not a, a either or, it is incredibly important to attend to those difficult emotions. I was reading something the other day that I had written years ago and I was, I don't remember what the situation was, but what I was, I was recognizing some emotions that were arising and it was like, oh, I don't want to feel this. I don't want to feel this. I don't want to feel this. You know, the immediate reaction is, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. And then with practice, because of the practice, before I got into practice, it's like, oh, I don't want to feel this. How do I get rid of it? What do I do? What do I do? And my whole energy moved towards getting rid of it, not feeling it, dismissing it in some way, shape, or form, covering it up, changing it, whatever, whatever the out was, I needed an out from that feeling. And it wasn't even conscious. It was the feeling those dis that discomfort arising and just immediately going into reactive mode, fixing, changing, doing. But now with practice, the invitation is... There's no way around it. There's only with it and through it. And I saw something that Larry Ward posted today, who's a wonderful, wonderful teacher in Thich Nhat Hanh's tradition. If you may, may have heard me talk about him a lot because I really have been listening to a lot of his talks. And he said, 
receive your suffering with your whole body, not just your intellectual thought. Uh, embrace the sorrow and your joy, but don't drown in that suffering. It's like receive it, be with it, but don't let it overwhelm. Overwhelm is in the mind. It's like be fully present with the, with the embodiment, the somatic experiencing of it. That's, that's so important, and that's what, that's what the journey of this practice is, is the journey from the head, you know, this intellectual figuring things out. Instead, the invitation is to be fully immersed in the present moment. If there's sorrow, be with the sorrow but not to the exclusion of anything else that shows up. You know, um, it's an important reminder not to drown in it. You know, sometimes it's easier for folks to be miserable or to keep coming back to the dukkha, the discomfort of the present moment, than to be happy because happy, pleasant, is going to end. And I'd rather not deal with being happy and having it ending. I'd rather just stay miserable all the time. I know I've had those experiences in my life. Um, it's like, you know what? I'm not going to go down this path because it's, it's going to end and I don't want to have to deal with that because I'm not interested in dealing with feelings. Instead, we are invited to be with everything without preference. So if there is sorrow, be with the sorrow. Be with the experience of it in your body. And we come to this slowly, slowly, slowly. If you're new to practice, you don't just dive in and go, okay, I'm here, relentlessly head on facing everything. It's toe in the water. How does that feel? Where is that? Being gentle, because gentleness, and as I, I said before, kindness is so important. There's a kindness in our attitude towards our experience. Gentleness in our attitude towards our experience. It's so important that we don't cause harm to ourselves as we're learning to greet the discomfort that is inevitable in our lives. It's the first noble truth. There is dukkha, there is discomfort, there is dissatisfaction. It's birth, it's death, it's loss. There's going to be grief, there's going to be sadness. The denial of it just intensifies the discomfort. So we put down the denial and greet it. Um, and then there's the other one that um, is also a place we go sometimes is, um, you know, expect the worst. You know, be happy, you know, hope for the best, but expect the worst because the shoe, the other shoe is always going to drop, you know. The other shoe is always going to drop. And, and sometimes there's this thing I, I, I know people experience, and I still experience it because uh, uh, it's called anticipatory grief. We know when things are going to end, and so we, we begin to feel the grief even before it ends. There's this anticipation of grief. So um, we let go of that. And or recognize it for what it is. And a lot of this I mentioned for the meditation, the clarity. There's the clarity in seeing this. Oh, there's grief. The, uh, the, the naming 
of the emotion. We have to be present so we can name it. If we're not naming it, we're just kind of being knocked around willy-nilly. We have to be willing to touch into it. And sometimes if we've been really disconnected, it may take a while to recognize. It may take a while to recognize grief or sadness or, or to put a name to it. And sometimes we just go, wow, this is uncomfortable. This is unpleasant. You know, the Buddha talked about that in the second noble truth, or the second, excuse me, the second foundation of mindfulness. Is this pleasant or unpleasant? And when we recognize whether something's unpleasant, then we, we are on the lookout for this can cause me to react a particular way. If something's pleasant, it can cause me to act, react a particular way. So to have that clarity and that awareness that allows us to meet everything with, with wisdom and kindness, you know? But whatever's arising, whatever, whatever mechanisms we've, we've created to deal with whatever emotions there are, happy, unpleasant, pleasant, grief, sadness, joy, the important part of it is to be present, whatever it is, without preference for something else. As I said, there is dukkha, but there's also joy. The Buddha talked about in the in the fourth third excuse me third foundation of mindfulness. Know when there's sadness. Know when there's happiness. And that's you know there's a few few emotions listed in the in the uh, in the in the sutta in the foundation of mindfulness. But that's a, a springboard to everything else. What is here? Ooh, jealousy, um, gratefulness, gratitude, whatever it is, know it know it. Um, and Roshi Joan Halifax talked about, um, we see things as they are, but we have she, what she calls wise hope, but we, we see things as we, they are, but we also understand our ability to transform it. You know, we're not doomed or fated to an experience of A, B, or C. We're, you know, just because it's like this doesn't mean it's always going to be like this. We have an ability, if we so choose, to transform something. You know, we right now it's like this, but it doesn't always have to stay this way. And everything changes, so we can change it. Especially if something is especially challenging, especially overwhelming. We don't have to sit in it. Um... Because we don't, sometimes we need to take a break. Sometimes we need that, that skillful means, taking care of ourselves. You know, I, I talked to somebody many, many years ago who was going through some really challenging experiences, and he had heard to sit with it, and it was overwhelming for him, and it was causing more, more harm than good. And it's like, I said, you can take a break. You don't have to sit with it until it dissolves or until you get to some place that you're trying to get to, which is what we tend to or can can tend to happen is like, I'm going to sit with this until it goes away. And it's like, you know what? It may not go away for a really long time. So what you learn to do is work with these emotions when they're there in, in a skillful way, in a wise way that doesn't that doesn't cause more damage. Because sometimes we can do that. We can cause um, harm to ourselves, um, spin out, 
when it's not necessary. There is a gentleness in this practice, a kindness, a compassion that's absolutely necessary. Um, Rick Hansen, who I love, who wrote Buddha's Brain, talked about being, when he talked about being with loss or suffering, he said, be with what's there. As I've said, I think, 40 or 50 times already, <clears throat> be with what's there. And he talked about decreasing what is negative, meaning painful or harmful, and increase what's positive, meaning what's enjoyable or beneficial. And this is effort. This is to recognize what's not beneficial in the mind and to let it be, let it go, and to cultivate what is beneficial. So don't wallow in the emotions. I, I remember times where I've been in, I've had a, an emotion of, I don't even know, grief or sadness. And sometimes when you are in those, when you experience those, there's a catharsis that you can feel. There's some kind of aliveness in those, in those painful emotions. And I, had, and I would feel it moving on. And I would, in my mind, reach out and pull it back because I didn't want to let it go. You know, I, I didn't want to have it move into a more neutral position. Sometimes we feel um, we'd rather experience discomfort than neither neutral. Um, it seems that we're more alive if we're feeling pleasant or unpleasant rather than just this steadiness of, the calm, the stillness, especially if we're used to um, drama uh, or excitement in our lives, the steadiness, the ease of tranquility is like too weird. I'd rather have some, some, some drama, thank you. And so to recognize and to let instead, just like, no, let things pass and cultivate what's wise. And he also talks about, Rick Hansen talks about, um, the importance of gratitude. And so this, this talk, I, I gave it the title Grief and Gratitude uh, because gratitude is really a wonderful antidote to what is um, what can be called a negative, a not beneficial mind state, especially if we're stuck in it. And um, there's a woman, Sonia... Lubomirsky, I'm not sure how to talk, say her last name. I got this from James Barras and his work on Awakening Joy. She talks about um, eight benefits of gratitude. and um, It helps us savor positive life experiences. It bolsters our self-worth and self-esteem. Um, it helps us cope with stress and trauma. Uh, it strengthens relationships. I think that's really, I highlighted that. I think that's really important because when we begin to become grateful, there's this sense of connection that begins to flower if it's not already there um, because gratitude is not self-absorbed. Gratitude is outward facing a lot of times. And we're grateful to not just necessarily other people, but to the world at large. We're grateful for breathing. We're grateful for a whole host of things. If um, Thich Nhat Hanh's very good at um, the, the, when you're eating, 
before you begin to eat, expressing gratitude to all those people who uh, enabled that food to get from wherever it was from the ground, folks who harvested it, and then the truckers, and then the people in the store, and and whatever it was that got it in front of you so that you could eat. It's like, if I were left to my own devices, I'd starve to death. I'd absolutely starve to death. I am so disconnected from the land, especially since I grew up in New York City, even more so than now that I live in L.A., but it's like I'd have been like I'd, I'd have never made it past four. Um, so that that I think that gratitude and that sense of strengthening relationships and that sense of connection is of paramount importance. Really beneficial if we're working on beneficial and not beneficial, harmful and not harmful. This gratitude is so important in cultivating that. Um, beneficial uh, piece of the brain. It, um, it keeps us from comparing, that comparing mind. It cuts down on the comparing mind and really diminishes those negative emotions um, and keeps us from taking joy for granted. You know, we, it's so easy to take things for granted when we're in that negative, un, that mind state that's only focused on what's not right. The, 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 you know, what's, it's not right now, it's never going to be right, because that, that takes us away from the present, and to recognize the gratitude, um, um, and taking things for granted is so, um, it's so debilitating in a way, because it's so disconnecting. Um, I was so dismissive. There's a, there, in James Barra's book, um, Awakening Joy, he has a poem. Someone uh, wrote, a, a, it's a gratitude meditation. Excuse me, it's not a poem. It's a gratitude meditation. And it's like grat open to gratitude for the breath. Open to gratitude for your eyes. Open to gratitude for, for your ability to breathe. Open for your gratitude to the ability to, to see, to taste, to all the, our senses, um, for the mind, for consciousness. I mean, really basic stuff that, we're, that, that keeps us connected to the world. And it's so easy when we're caught in that little that little ball of self-absorption, I mean mine, it's so easy to take breathing for granted. It's so easy to take sight for granted. It's easy to take a roof over your head and food on your plate for granted when it's, when it's, that's crazy. But when you can begin to cultivate that, it has a beneficial impact on the brain. And if at the end of our um, meditation, I invited you to spend a moment in, in, in gratitude. And I started doing that years ago when I did read Buddha's Brain and, and Hansen talked about the importance of really spending time in gratitude. There's a tremendous shift that happens in our world when we can cultivate gratitude. Somebody years ago said to me or to, I heard, there's no room for grumbling if there's gratitude. And I believe it's true. When I'm grateful, I'm not grumbling. I'm not saying that everything's rosy. I'm not saying that the world all of a sudden became wonderful and all the problems were solved. 
Absolutely not, but it's a way to come into balance with a lot of the negativity that can be so overwhelming as that litany of, of, of problems I, I spoke to at the outset of this talk. It's so easy to become overwhelmed that it's really important to bring something in to, to balance that. Gratitude is a profound practice, especially when it's intentional. Um, when we're grateful, we feel nourished and we feel content with what we have. And this contentment is an antidote to craving, to attachment, to, to, to wanting what we want when we want it, which is the, 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 um, the uh, uh, genesis of dukkha, not satisfied with what we have. We want something different. Um, there's no, and when we're grateful, there's, there's, the, there's no self-censorship. It has this, as I mentioned, this beneficial impact on the brain. You know, it allows us to be fully with the other wholesome mind states like joy and tranquility, which are, joy and tranquility are two of the factors of awakening. So you can see the importance of this. And if gratitude kind of nudges us in that direction, it's a really good thing. And, then, and we get out of the binary thinking, too, that it has to be one thing or another. It's like, yeah, the world's on fire, and I'm really grateful for the cuteness of my kitty cats. And I'm really grateful for, for my partner, and I'm really grateful for a whole bunch of things. I'm really grateful for my health and that I get to go hiking in nature, and I had a wonderful trip a couple of weeks ago. You know, we take care of ourselves with these skillful means. I'm grateful so much for the practice. I'm grateful for the Sangha. I'm so grateful for the Dharma and the Buddhist teachings. It's, and I've seen it because I've been doing this gratitude practice um, daily for years now. And it, I can see the difference. There's so much gratitude. I'm not taking any credit for it. I'm, taking, I'm saying that it really has worked on my brain. It's so much easier to be grateful, to have that and that 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 yes and this is true and this is true and when you can have that those multiple things true at the same time that seem to to cancel each other out but don't they just you can hold everything there's a a, a greater sense of as, as uh, Roshi Jones says, wise hope. There's this sense that there's an ability to transform those things that are harmful. There's an ability to transform or end suffering. You know, this, this push towards the bodhisattva idea of ending suffering. Or doing, doing work that needs to be done to take care of things that need to be taken care of. Wherever we, wherever we want to do good in the world, however we want to do good in the world. There is this, this um, grounding that allows us to move in this direction when we have gratitude. It's so important. It's so important. I don't think the Buddha taught it as such, but so many of his teachings are, um, lead to this sense of gratitude. He did teach loving kindness and compassion and equanimity and joy, and gratitude is all part of that. So... 
Thank you, thank you, thank you, my friends. I am very grateful for your kind attention, and I hope this has been of some benefit. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystankavich.org backslash support. Thank you.